The year is 1994. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And I'm Owen. And this is My Marvelous Year. Part 7. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. This is an exciting, big episode to be ending 1994 on because we're going to talk all things Spider-Man Clone Saga Part 1 <laughs> of many, of many to come. But we're only in Part 1 here at the end of 1994 when the Clone Saga begins, the infamous Spider-Man story. I am joined today by a very special guest and also... And also, we found him in a vat with wires protruding. He, The computer said it's a combination of Bigfoot and Sunshine from Remember the Titans. He's going by Zach Riley. It's it's Zach Riley. How's it going, Zach? Good. You threw way too much at me there. Uh, I, I had a joke ready, and then you said Bigfoot, something about Remember the Titans, and totally yeah 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 no the dna was bigfoot and and sunshine from remember the titans is that ryan gosling in that movie no you do not get to be ryan Mm, gosling yeah i think i'm half (laughs) ryan gosling yeah i i do get people often say you you remind me of half ryan gosling half denzel washington which i think Mm -hmm. is the two characters Mm -hmm. you're referring to yeah yeah yeah, right so uh thank you thank you very much yes well they did call gosling bigfoot because he couldn't cover anyone his feet were too big he was too clumsy and uh, and he couldn't cover anyone. Should we I'll talk still, more about the Remember the Titans secondary? <laughs> yes, <laughs> should please. We, or should we progress? Uh, yes, no, you're stunning, great looking, and you're here to talk Clone Saga. Speaking of stunning and great looking, we also <laughs> have YouTube star Owen from Owen Likes Comics here to educate us about the Clone Saga. Owen, thanks for joining. How are you doing? Wow, I, I definitely feel like I'm the favorite person on this podcast given the, the discrepancies between those two introductions <laughs> what you know zach's compared to bigfoot and i'm described as, as handsome and a star but i'll take it yeah thank you for having me on i'm excited to to talk some spider-man to talk some clone saga and and yeah to try and unpack the first part of oh, like 20 this this comic you know mm-hmm. in some in some circles and in some streams of the timeline the clone saga is probably still going on but yeah, i'm glad that right. we're only going to talk about the first kind of chunk of it and people talk about, like, you know, the fact that we're in the darkest timeline, you know, like politically and, and culturally. Um, but there probably is a timeline where the clone saga is still happening. So, like, <laughs> there are there are wins to yeah. be counted here. It could always be worse. <laughs> yes. All right. So we're here to talk clone saga. I'm excited to do so. Um, if you are following along, you can find all the issues that we read for this are going to be included in the show notes. Uh, this one is important because there is a reading order, right? Like there is a sequence to the clone saga saga that will, you know, have it make the most sense. Um, again, you can find that in the show notes. You can find that if you go to mymarvelousyear.com. You can also find that if you subscribe uh, to our Patreon, patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. Uh, patrons get 
access to the full master spreadsheet with all the issues we're going to be reading uh, for as little as $1 a month. But again, you do not have to pay to play. We include these issues absolutely everywhere. There's also a Comic Book Herald Clone Saga reading order that will be updated as we go through this because I have some thoughts. I have some thoughts on some recommendations that like some of the collected editions of Marvel Unlimited are making. But we're going to be talking about Spider-Man. Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, Spider-Man Unlimited. If it's a Spider-Man book, it's going to get absorbed by the Clone Saga. Let's start with this. Owen, you did a really nice video on your YouTube channel about sort of the history of the Clone Saga. Can you kick us off with a little background on what sets the stage for this event to be happening? Yes, so... The, the story behind the Clone Saga is kind of quite a, a crazy and convoluted backstory, and I will try and condense it down in, in the simplest format. So let's flash back to 1973. Jerry Conway is taking over Spider-Man from Stan Lee a couple years earlier, and he's trying to like put his mark down on the series. Obviously, um, around that time, you have the death of Gwen Stacy, like the first major status quo change in the Spider-Man series. And... Coming out of the death of Gwen Stacy is the building blocks to what's known as the original Clone Saga, or the first Clone Saga, where in the issues and the stories after Gwen's death, um, Peter and Gwen's professor, Dr. Miles Warren, becomes the jackal and is obsessed with Gwen and basically tries to create a clone of Gwen and bring her back to life. Uh, and in the process of doing so, creates an evil clone of Spider-Man. They fight, there's a big explosion, and then the clone is never seen from again. And then that was it. That was just a one-off story told in one or two issues of Spider-Man that no one ever thought about again for 20 years. And what a beautiful 20 <laughs> years they were. Exactly. Then, yeah, so then you flash forward to the early 90s. Um, and especially at DC, but Marvel were guilty of this too in the, in the early parts of the decade. DC especially became very interested in doing these massive status quo shaking stories. So in 1992, you've got the death of Superman. And then in 1993, you've got Batman Nightfall. And like, this is an era where comics are selling incredibly well. You know, the speculator market is at its peak. And DC and Marvel are really interested in doing these major status quo changes, these kind of new uh, issue ones, these new kind of special edition comics that are, you know, just flying off the shelves. And because of it, Marvel are looking at ways at revitalizing the Spider-Man series, which has kind of started to stagnate a little bit at this time. And basically, Marvel's editors get this idea that they want to kind of let Peter progress and mature. He's kind of been throughout the late 70s and the 80s. He's kind of been starting to grow up and become, you know, less of like the plucky teenage hero and more of a kind of responsible adult. He gets married with MJ. Um, you know, the teasing ideas of them having children at this time. And they're really kind of letting Peter's life naturally progress in a way that, you know, Marvel would never let that happen now. And this comes into a problem where some of Marvel's editors are really keen on the idea of kind of giving Peter and MJ, you know, this beautiful send-off, you know, riding off together in the sunset. And other ones, and other editors and writers at Marvel are really worried about what will happen if Peter Parker isn't around to tell Spider-Man stories. Basically, long story short, one of them digs out the original clone saga and says, well, what if the clone didn't die? You know, they kind of take inspiration from what DC had done in stories like Nightfall and said, well, you know, the Batman book still sold just as well, if not better, when kind of Bruce Wayne was taken out and Jean-Paul Valley was slotted in. So what if we did this thing where Peter Parker could kind of retire as Spider-Man, go off and kind of raise a family with MJ, and the clone could come back and be the new Spider-Man? This was the original idea. 
it seemed like a very simple and straightforward story. The idea of it, that it was going to last little kind of a year tops, going to conclude in Amazing Spider-Man 400. And it was going to be this neat, this pretty simple kind of one in one out situation where they give Peter this big send off and the clone who would later become known as Ben Riley would kind of be introduced as a new kind of more modern Spider-Man for a new generation of readers. It all sounds really simple. It did not go that straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the when people talk about the clone saga. And thank you for that recap. Excellent. Thank you. Succinct. Um, they, they talk about it in terms of the lasting legacy, which is too, too much. <laughs> like the lasting legacy yeah. of the Clone Saga is it was just way too long and increasingly convoluted as it went. I think there's often a misconception because it has become a punching bag. Certainly me growing up getting into comics, like I think a lot of readers as they're getting into comics, the Clone Saga becomes an easy punching bag for like 90s excess and just sort of like infamously bad storylines. But what you realize or what I realize when you actually go back and go through it and you're in the early stages of it, which is what we all were reading here is basically what is included in like the complete Clone Saga epic book one. Okay. Mm -hmm. it's And again, like this is all the issues that are basically take you through the last three months of 1994. It's actually a pretty structurally sound good idea, I would say. <laughs> like the Clone Saga is actually needed. You know, it reminds me a bit of in my ultimate year, Zach, we covered mm, Ultimatum, yeah. right? Another infamously, <laughs> notoriously uh, reviled storyline. And that's one that I came on and, and we talked about this, but it's like, strategically, I like the idea of Ultimatum a lot. And I like it in response to kind of what that universe needed. And I would say the Spider-Man universe needs a kick in the pants here. In late 1994, going into 1995, the Clone Saga teasing that being Peter and MJ having a kid, maybe um, the, Ben Riley coming in as the clone and taking over for Spider-Man for a while. That is an interesting strategic direction to give this series a kick in the pants. Zach, let me throw it to you. This is your first time reading the Clone Saga, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, yeah. What was your overall reaction and kind of? What were your what were the expectations you had, and then did this defy or meet them? So my expectations, I guess, were the same thing you've been talking about: bloat, right? You know, like just just too much Spider-Man, and it and it is right. Like there's this is what do we have? Like five series going on, and you can tell just in the quality of the series that some of these are like um, like Spider-Man Unlimited really feels like a, a series where they're like, man, Spider-Man, we just can't sell enough Spider-Man. We just have to <laughs> like, can we find someone? to yeah. write and draw spider-man anyone it doesn't matter if they're like still in art school and haven't really figured out how to draw yet like <laughs> let's just get someone drawing spider-man because it will sell um so there's that the other thing that surprised me a little bit is how not I, that's context i didn't have actually the idea that the larger idea long-term plan for this was for this to allow peter parker to age out of becoming spider-man and ben riley to take over i didn't know that context um because there's very little, like, it, it, it's it's a little strange how Ben Riley comes in, he's introduced as Peter Parker's clone, and then not a lot is done with that idea. It, it does feel a little unfocused. It feels a little like, why are we doing this? I, I guess without that context of knowing their long plan, like, they, they spend so much time on the, like, four-issue stories having to do with Kind of random villains that I'm, I'm not that interested in, like Puma or uh, Nocturne. Or I will um, stand for no Judas Traveler. 
slander on this show. Yeah, the Judas oh, Traveler Judas and all of his rocks. cronies. It, it's very strange because it's kind of like, um, it, it, it just need like, to get me interested in what's going on with the clones, I kind of almost needed, like, a back seat on that so that we could focus on what is up with Ben Riley Because the, like, he's the main focus, but I don't feel that connected to his character or what's going on with him. I, often you kind of just forget that he's not Peter Parker, except for once in a while. He's just like... Oh, my memories, they're not my own. Gotta gotta remember that. <laughs> oh, see, I had such an opposite experience because they hammer the who am I part of identity so yeah. hard in For pros. sure, but like what are they what are they saying with what are they doing with it? They're literally just saying, saying who am I? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You know, like it, it's over not a well observed it, so it, an interesting thing is JMD Mateus is here. Thank and, heavens. Uh, yeah. And he's writing he's writing good issues. But it, it's funny because if you read this not knowing he was writing this, you, I feel like you'd look at this and be like, oh, someone's trying to be Craven's Last Hunt here. Right? Like someone's, <laughs> so, yeah. someone's trying to like imitate that poorly because like the, the clarity of what's going on in Craven's Last Hunt, how he hones in on Spider-Man's identity crisis there, um, feels so like thinly drawn here. Like it, Spider-Man is going insane in Ravencroft because of his like, all the pressures and responsibilities, but you don't feel any of that hitting him. It, it just is happening. Like it's just one of these things. They're just saying it out loud, <laughs> right? And um, un unlike a lot of other comics, there there are a lot of comics that do this well. I think Brian Michael Bendis's Ultimate Spider-Man actually does an excellent job of making you feel the building pressure on Peter Parker. That's something yeah. I can really hand to this. And uh, I'll get skewered for this, but one more day, I think actually Ooh. also does a very good job of being like, yeah, you get why Peter Parker would do something insane here right like it builds the uh, uh the like the history of peter parker into um a situation in which you know he does something uh kind of nuts uh, and, and your favorite comic book yeah oh yeah top top five for sure <laughs> um no it's it's an okay comic um but yeah so that that was my main impression is kind of like oh we're just ben riley's here but then we're also kind of just dealing with some like c plus uh you know superhero shenanigans that I'm mostly like I, I wish this was a little more clone focused. Yeah, um, that, the, the Ben my... Riley stuff I I do think stands out. Oh, and let's start to you in terms yeah, of the please. quality of these issues. Um, you know, and so like the sections we read today, like kind of like Zach was saying, like part one is they meet at Ravencroft and there's the whole Judas Traveler showdown. Mm -hmm. um, then it kind of it, it breaks into the structure that the Clone Saga is going to do for a minute, which is like a few of these books bounce Ben Riley stories where he's a clone, he's trying to figure out, you know, who he is, what he's going to do. Uh, he fights Venom, you know, stuff like that. And then kind of there's yeah. a segment that bounces between Sp Peter, like the Peter Parker that we know or think we know as Spider-Man and his descent into uh, Peter Parker no more territory, essentially, where he's yeah. like denying his actual identity. He's not he's not living with Mary Jane. He's just like trying to become the full spider. What, what do you think about the, the quality? What do you think? Like what works? What doesn't for you? Yeah, I, I feel like I kind of sit somewhere in the middle of, of you two, um, which is interesting. Um, so this isn't my first time reading The Clone Saga. I, I read it in full, the entire thing, uh, when I made my video on it a couple of years ago. And then yeah. revisiting it um, for this podcast after recently reading the entirety of Craven's Last Hunt. It is interesting, especially in this kind of portion of the story, to pick up on a lot of the thematic parallels between those two books. Um, Craven's Last Hunt is a personal favourite Spider-Man story of mine and I'm a big Demetrius fan so naturally I kind of do warm to to some of this kind of stuff but yeah like 
I've always thought I've always thought that just kind of generally across the board, the, the problem with the Clone Saga isn't the idea of it. I think that if you kind of boil it down into like a, a short synopsis or a premise, it's a really interesting story. And it's not unlike stuff like Nightfall, which are, are books that I'm a big fan of. Mm-hmm. But I think the problem is it becomes such a victim of its own success. It's kind of burdened by its own kind of weight and the amount of stuff that, you know, look at the amount of different comics that we're talking about just in this podcast, there's like four or five or six different Spider-Man books going on. And like, so the story is kind of stretched out. And at times, like, well, I think there's a lot of interesting ideas and like Demetrius definitely tries to add that kind of philosophical weight that you see like Ben's going through questioning his identity. Peter's going through questioning his identity. Even at times like Venom's doing the same thing. But at times it, it, the books really do kind of grind to a halt. There's like a good chunk of issues where it's kind of just, the same things happening over and Puma over. Puma trying to find his identity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like this, there's like, there's a really good idea there, but I think an execution, and maybe it's just the nature of kind of editorial telling them to slow down and stretch it out, or just the amount of different books that this story has to be told in. I feel like it gets really difficult, like once this story gets going for it to be told cohesively. Right. Right. The, the amount of books I think yeah. is the biggest problem where, these, you know, a four-part story maybe across four different Spider-Man titles or two bouncing back and forth easily could be told in one or two issues. And you feel that weight, definitely, I think, reading all these. I mean, one thing I tell people with the Clone Saga is, like, once you get your bearings on what the situation is, you can read part one of the story and then read part four, and you're good. Like, you're, you're going to pick it <laughs> mm-hmm. up with context yeah. clues, and you're not going to miss anything because they drag the stuff out so, so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think the other avenue to approach it, and it's something we've been alluding to here, is follow J.M.D. Mateus and Mark Bagley on Amazing Spider-Man or, like, mm-hmm. the creators that you're into, if it's not them. Um, but, you like, you will get enough context without – because there's a temptation, and I'm built this way, that, like, okay, if, if this is the reading order – and all these issues are involved, I don't want to miss stuff. Like, I want to experience the story in full. And I actually think the Clone Saga is a great time to start experimenting with not doing that because you're, <laughs> experimenting you're, not doing that. Yeah, like you're really <laughs> gonna you're really gonna benefit. You know, I do wanna I wanna go back to two items that, that you brought up here, Owen. Um one, Ben Riley as a legacy character. Okay, so we've been alluding to this like Legacy characters are huge right now, especially at DC Comics, right? Like DC's 90s trick that they do in response to, you know, Marvel's enormous 1991 success with X-Men number one and Spider-Man number one is is not simply to just renumber their titles, but they basically recast their popular heroes, right? So in Nightfall, we're recasting Batman as Asriel. In uh, Death of Superman, we're recasting Superman as four possible Supermen, um, you know, and all sorts of things. Uh, And then, you know, you have, like, Wally West Flash era. You know, the Mark Wade Flash run is huge at this point in time. We have Kyle Rayner starting as Green Lantern. A lot of fans have tremendous nostalgia and affinity for the changes and the focus on legacy characters. And obviously, Marvel is taking a cue on that front with Ben Riley, but there's so it's so comical that the take on well who can be a new Spider-Man, which I think in 2022 we understand that that could be a lot of people. We live in a post into the Spider-Verse universe where that could be a lot of directions you can go and and make the book interesting, but their take is literally Peter Parker <laughs> 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 is is the legacy inheritor of 
the mantle of Peter Parker. Um, yeah. I kind of, I, I like the original Clone Saga, and I actually like Ben Riley. Does does that approach to a legacy character, like, is that just built to fail? Zach, what do you think? Like, is that ever going to be a successful approach to, like, moving Spider-Man forward, do you think? Oh, yeah, sure, but, like, not, yeah, like you said, not Peter Parker, but someone, a Peter Parker who's like, I just, I remember all the same things, but they're not my memories, but besides that, they're the same. I still treat them kind of like my memories. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, that's It like feels a bit the, cowardly, I guess, is kind of what I'm getting Totally, at. it feels very safe. Very safe and very, uh, like, we, if we're going to do something with... I, I mean, the the only thing I could say for this is I could see potential interest in them really retiring Spider-Man and, like, aging out Spider-Man. It would only be in a world where, like, you know, like the Spider-Girl thing, where, like, yeah, Peter right. Parker is, mm-hmm. you know, like a 50-year-old dad with a mustache and Ben Riley is, like, the young upstart. But they're the same age or something, so it doesn't really work, right? Like... Just having them be so similar. I, I I just could kind of see Peter Parker as, like, the older mentor from a distance, right? Like, trying to keep his hands clean um, as being kind of interesting. But that's not here. And, and the, big, the big issue with this, for me, is the focus, right? Because, like, you're comparing to Death of Superman and Nightfall. And those both have a clear, deliberate reason for being here, right? You can see, like, when you're reading them, you'll see okay, like, Superman's going to fight to the death. Batman has back, bro- back broken. We're, like, mo- moving forward these big status quo changes. Here, it's really hard to see what's happening besides, like, like you said, you don't need to read much it except for, yeah, Peter Parker as a clone. He's also going to put on a costume. And, like, that's what we get for the, like, clone saga-ness of all this. I, I was a little surprised because the way that's talked about the clone saga being so convoluted, this isn't convoluted. Like, those two sentences get you caught up. Yeah, like yeah, there's a clone. His name's Ben Riley. He has the costume. He's trying to kind of do the Spider-Man thing. That's uh, all we get. A, he I, has a better costume, I think. Th- there are there are little hints at larger things coming in. There's uh, some guy named Kane who's here. Uh, Craven the Hunter's son is like showing up. That mm. stuff that like looks like it's building later. But what we read, at least the first like 14 issues of the Clone Saga, feels very like very safe and very simple. And part of that might be. It's stretched across six different issues, and they're trying to hold it together so they can't make great strides across yeah. any of them. Everything has to creep forward. Yeah. Uh, oh, and you talked about, um, you know, you're working on Craven's Last Time video, which which people should definitely check out on YouTube as well, and kind of obviously the interconnected themes and explorations that, you know, the author, J.M. DeMattis, is doing. And he's writing Amazing Spider-Man here with, with Mark Bagley. Um, you mentioned, you know, revisiting the Clone Saga for the purposes of that. Like, what are the... Obviously, Craven's Last Haunt is a very successful. I mean, all three of us here are big fans. Um, it's very successful. It it really works. Uh, what do you see carrying through in in Demati's work onto Clone Saga that does work? Like, do you think there's stuff that that elevates it in a way maybe people wouldn't expect? Yeah, I think that there is an interesting parallel between these two stories and kind of if you view especially the early chapters of the Clone Saga as kind of like a spiritual sequel to Craven's Last Hunt, I, th- I think it's really interesting. Obviously, like, um, in, in the portion of the book that we read and kind of what's going on with, with Peter especially, this idea of, like, him giving up on the civilian kind of life and him giving up on Peter Parker and embracing the spider, as it's called, like, very much feels like what Craven was trying to do hmm. in Craven's Last Hunt. You know, the whole part of... The old kind of idea of that story is Craven tries to become Spider-Man, but because he doesn't have, like, the character of Peter Parker guiding it, he's not he's not as good as Spider-Man. He's inferior because he doesn't have the kind of the heart 
of and he doesn't have the humanity of Peter, and that's what makes Spider Man so great. That's kind of like the central theme of Craven's Last Hunt. I find Nightfall to be very similar to that, where I think it's it's a comic design not to make you think that Jean Paul Valley is a really cool Batman, but to remind you that Bruce Wayne and, and the facets of his character that make him so great is what kind of defines Batman. Yeah, I think that like Craven's Last, uh, I think sorry, I think the Clone Saga in the parts that we read does try to do this like it gives peter that kind of existential crisis and this kind of crisis of confidence where he's questioning you know should i be peter parker the you know the husband and the soon-to-be father and the adult and kind of the 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 son and all of this or do i just fully embrace being spider-man and you've got that running parallel with kind of ben riley's kind of existential crisis of who am i and trying to find some semblance of identity it's kind of interesting that you got peter kind of trying to choose between these two different lives he's he's been leading for years and then you've got ben just trying to find one life that that's his and and isn't kind of feeling like it's shared and and attached to someone else so i do think thematically especially like when you view it in the context of craven's last hunt it's a really interesting story but like zach said i think because of the amount of books that this story is kind of being spread across sometimes the message of that does get a little muddled and lost and kind of grinds to a halt a little bit but it's there and reading getting in isolation i think you can really see what dimatteis and bagley especially are trying to get across if nothing mm-hmm. else yeah yeah no i think it's true i I've, I've definitely been impressed by you know i like obviously i've been a fan of craven's last time for a long time i really like justice league international mm. um but i hadn't read as much you know 90 spider-man and some of the other stuff that that he's involved in um i went back and this is not on marvel unlimited but if you can find these copies, I highly recommend it. Um, Jam hops on to Moon Knight for like five issues with artist Ron Garney um, on the Moon Knight Mark Spector series, which I revisited because, you know, the Disney Plus show is coming out. And uh, it's so good. It's this story called Scarlet Redemption. It is super Craven's Last Hunt, um, you know, esque. It feels, but like, but like for Moon Knight. And like, it's not as good, but it's not that far off. Um, wow. And I, I feel like, yeah, I, I, it's like I, I have no idea, truly no idea why it's not collected and held up as like the canonical Moon Knight story to read between the years of 1984 and like 2006. Like it is so weird to me that that hasn't been um, heavily marketed. Uh, but I But I raise that to say like there's genuine talent involved in the Clone Saga. You know, I think a lot of times like the perception is, at least in the early going, right? The perception is often like Marvel's falling apart. They're about to be entering bankruptcy. Like like Zach was saying on Spider-Man Unlimited, that kind of feel of like, hey, can you draw? <laughs> like, you know, like we'll bring like, can you do it? Like, really? We'll bring you I, in. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that in Marvel as much of someone who's just like, you, you just really don't know how to draw like faces yet, huh? Like you uh-huh. haven't like, like you're kind of there, but it's, I, I don't even know the artist. I don't want to call them out, but like, it, it feels very like, Someone's well, there, first comic. Yeah. Well, there, but there is some of that. But then there's also like you know, Mark Bagley is obviously an experienced. Oh, there's pro there's some great point. stuff here. Tom uh, Liam Lyle. Sharp is getting his start. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and Liam Sharp mm-hmm. has gone on to be like phenomenal. Like there's there's some genuine talent. Um, yeah, with the yeah, saga. Sure. And again, like, most stuff looks great. Yeah. yeah, and like the design of Ben Riley, I think really stands out. You know, <laughs> whether you like the hoodie oh yeah, do you do you like that? Yeah, I, I just want to just I think it's fun. I, I do actually. Yeah, I think it's it? fun. It's not as fun as like Spider Man twenty ninety nine, but it's the same colors and a somewhat similar approach. Um, I could easily be talked into wearing a Ben Riley costume. Yes, I, I'm into oh, it. Owen, do you like it? <laughs> Are the, we talking the, about like the hoodie the original, over the yeah the yeah. original hoodie suit? The original. 
the originals, like, I get it in the context of the story, and it's fine, but I've kind of always had a soft spot for Ben Riley's second Spider-Man suit. Oh, yeah. I don't know that one, so I'll have to, the, have to wait. You'll see it. It's a thing of beauty. Mark Bagley draws it to perfection. Okay, cool. I've always that, had a real I'm soft not a spot for that one. costume. I just, I think the, the idea the of someone over. cutting off the sleeves of a hoodie yeah, right. and putting it's, it on is just hilarious, kind of and I love it. <laughs> it's, it feels very 90s. It feels very like, this is going to be cool in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it just doesn't have that... Uh, like lasting power. As a, as a kid who went through a phase of cutting off the tops of his hats, so I'd have a cool <laughs> visor. <laughs> I am here for this. Okay, I, I will. I will give it this credit though. It is considerably better than the uh, Captain America, Doctor Strange, Thor, or Daredevil upgrades from this era. All of those. That are is like, very true. Painful and really shouts the '90s Daredevil in these issues. Way yeah, he's go. showing up here. You know what? I'll, I'll give the uh, the Daredevil thing here some credit. Um. Daredevil shows up and Peter Parker's trying to get some help from him. And he's just like, Matt, I need your help. And Daredevil's like, I'm not Matt. How many times do I have to tell you? <laughs> I don't actually know if that's Matt or not. I uh, I don't really know what's going on in Daredevil. So I, I was yeah. also kind of like, maybe he's telling the truth. I, yeah. I assume... I assume that's actually Matt Murdock just having a, a breakdown. Like There's, Daredevil's, uh, Daredevil's in a perpetual state of just telling people he's not Matt Murdock. <laughs> just assume that's the status quo. Yeah, that's yeah, very true. Yeah, yeah. There is a period of time where he is amnesia, amnesiac and uh, thinks he's a French shield agent. I don't oh, know if yes. we're there yet. <laughs> Incredible. But I do like to okay. imagine all 90s appearances where he just has like a very bad French accent. Um, it, it, that would that definitely makes it more fun. Um, yeah, I, I think like, you know, th- this story actually reminds me, one of the reactions or sort of the responses I had to it was like, it kind of reminds me of MCU Eternals, um, where in, in the sense that it has such a critical drubbing and a perception, and then when you go and experience it, it's like that's fine. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And and because the expectations I think are set so low with the Clone Saga, a lot of times that mm-hmm. going to it, it can actually I think it actually feels better than it is because like it, if you just if you exist in comic spaces, you know you will enter this with like tremendous expectation that it's going to be like so bad it's good, and it's not it's not that you know it's not like this unmitigated train wreck or anything, at least at this stage, right? And again, like we're in the yeah, early parts when this that. is still not off the rails yet. Um, but it's kind of just like, I don't know, it's fine. And it's it's a strategic progression for Spider-Man, which again, I think is like, all, like so regularly in need of a kick in the pants. Um, I, I do think one thing that is strange about this comic, and I'm curious about both of your takes here, is so if you come into this blind, um, or just a la the My Mother's Year Reading Club where we're doing, you know, the curated focus on what's good. The status of Peter Parker is strange to the point that it's often confusing whether or not he is, in fact, a clone, like already, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I, because yeah. he's constantly denying up. that he's Peter, you know, and it's like, well, but wait, I thought that guy was Ben. And then the other one in the Spider-Man costume is saying, I'm not Peter, I'm just a spider. And it's like, wait, does that mean you're a clone? No, that's just <laughs> yeah. that's just like the mental breakdown he's having, you know, and that is in response to the, the obviously all the comics that come before this, like probably mostly the chameleon faking his parents returning, <laughs> which is a thing that we mostly skipped over. But uh, but now Peter has learned that his parents, who he thought were back, uh, were in fact a scheming plot by the chameleon, and uh, they're they're out of the picture. And then on top of that, Aunt May's as sick as she's ever been. We're back to Aunt May on her perpetual deathbed status, uh, which is obviously going to be a, a play a key role throughout the Clone Saga. And all of that is leading Peter to like 
to declare he's not Peter, to never go home. Um, I, I mean, if he hasn't fully abandoned MJ at this point, that's news to me. Like, it sure seems like they're, like, basically separated in, in all. But, like, basically he just hasn't come home in mm-hmm. however long. Um, so that part is kind of weird. <laughs> when you're, I don't know. Zach, did you find that confusing? The, the first issue, there was a little bit of, like, because it, it's somebody, it's a Peter Parker without the costume on fighting a Spider-Man costume. And they're both, like arguing about who they are and what's what and like being cagey about <laughs> their identity yeah so yeah like it took me a little bit to realize like which one was peter and which one's the clone uh, something i walked into this thinking that marvel was actually going to do that i quickly realized is not the case i thought part of the part of the reason people didn't like this and part of the reason this is uh, like a big messy saga is i thought that what it was going to say is that ben riley is actually the peter or not ben riley the clone or whoever comes in. Okay, let me let me start over. Zach, Zach, the, before you go down this rabbit hole, may yeah. I remind you that this saga is going to continue for another two years. <laughs> okay, well here's my. May here's, I simply <laughs> remind you of that? Okay, well here, here's my my idea of what I thought was going to happen and maybe will still happen uh-huh. is that the Peter Parker we've been following since the original Clone Saga is actually the clone and the guy who comes in mm. now was the original. Yeah, uh, and that, that is like my idea is that they were going to be like, oh yeah, that that. You know, you've been following a clone this whole time. Right, and, right, right. And that then, conversation then that like, my whole has not fake. happened yet, right? They really are not engaging. No. Mm-hmm. They're really, at this point, they're really just engaging with, okay, the clone is back. Yeah. Ben Riley's back. Um, How did he get out of that smokestack? That's all well, I want to know. So that that's actually what I wanted to touch on. So there's some issues that come out about two years later. No, not quite. The, Maybe the a year and a half. The Lost Years. I think they're 96, and, yeah. Yeah, and if you're looking at the Marvel Unlimited reading order for the Clone Saga, they include the Lost Years right after the first four issues, like right after the Ravencroft story. And I think there's an issue zero that you could read at that point in time. And that is just a recap of the original Clone Saga, but from the perspective of Ben. Okay, it's from the perspective of Ben the clone, and it basically it just says like, oh, and here's how he you know faked his death, and we never saw the body confirmed, and you know we saw him escape, right? And and it kind of answers that question. I highly recommend you do not proceed to the next three issues of the Lost Year because they give away stuff that happens later, and they they raise questions that that have not come up yet in the actual Spider-Man mythos. Um, so that's that's my take on those issues. But yes, there is a you know, original Clone Saga revisit. Um, and it's it's a J.M. DeMatteis and John Romita Jr. production. It's 65 pages. It's like, it's a graphic novel. It's huge. Um, and it's it's purely just like, hey, let's re-experience the original Clone Saga, um, you know, through the lens of, of what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I didn't need it because I know the original Clone Saga and I liked it. But if you need that recap, like it's done by very competent writers and herb talents. And, and it's, you know, it's effectively told. Um, but yeah, I, I, those conversations like the who's the real clone, um, you know, who is who is who that's not happening yet in this part one. Um, and I think it's better for it. Like, I don't I'm not looking forward to that starting. Uh, I don't know. Owen, where do you stand on sort of the without spoiling kind of where it goes? Where do you stand on interest in like who's the real clone conversation? Yeah, I think. The fact that this chapter of the story doesn't get into it too much is probably for the best because there's still already so much going on. I feel like every comic that we read, another villain pops up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm reading it and it's like, okay, the fighting Judas Traveler. Okay, the fighting Venom. Okay, the fighting the Vulture. Okay, the fighting Puma. It's just constantly like every, behind every street corner is another kind of costume villain 
for Peter or Ben to fight. So I'm quite glad that, especially as well, like dealing with Peter's existential crisis and who he want, and trying to figure out which of his two identities he wants to be. Ben trying to like kind of like cultivate and craft some sort of identity that's unique to him. I'm quite glad that the writers held off on like dealing with the question of well, which one of them is our Spider-Man until right. kind of they just kind of push that down the line and, and kind of deal with that in year two. Um, and I think it works better for it. I think that if they tried to establish that question at this point in the story, you know, I feel like it'd be a deck of like a house of cards that would just fall apart. You know, we've yeah. not got to the part in the Clone Saga yet where the story just becomes a complete runaway train. Right. Just yet. Right. I, I do think like, I think a big part of the reputation is is the bulk. And I, I don't know that there's a story that's more defined by like editorial behind the scenes than the Clone yeah. Saga. You know, honestly, like I think for a lot of readers today, like the story of the Clone Saga is more about what was happening editorially. What was it in response to? And then also as it progresses, like Marvel is approaching bankruptcy and and having all these issues that are like, like it's more about the comics landscape and the market than it is like what's happening in the pages of the comic, you know, and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Then, then really anything I think we've read in my marvelous year, you know, and like, which doesn't mean like there can't be interesting backstories here and there, but it's like, it comes to define the clone saga. But then the other piece of it, that kind of we bypassed which is just like are clone stories fun <laughs> like like are clone <laughs> stories a good idea in shared superhero universes and obviously spider-man just sort of like takes it over here you know like spider-man's thing becomes like the x-men maybe have alternate realities um you know uh, uh batman has you know legacy inheritors of the mantle and a, a cool rogues galley um spider-man has clones <laughs> like is that mm. Is that a good thing, Zach? Like, do you do you care about all these clones? Like, Init- do you no, like that? No, not not really. But like, initially, you, you could see a potential for the idea of like the clones could be interesting, or the clone. I don't know if there's more than one. Um, as some kind of reflection of Spider-Man, right? Like, it has to be more than just kind of like like when I see all this stuff about like Venom and the other symbiotes and like. Like, oh, when you feel the editorial changes, it feels like comics that are just, like, about themselves rather than trying to be about something interesting, right? Like, because I'm not one who's just reading comic, comics to just see, like, all right, well, what's going to happen historically to Spider-Man, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what's going on with Spider-Man? Like, I want to know, like, like, Craven's Last Hunt, there's, like, some humanity peeking through. There's relatable, you know, like, stories coming through about uh, expectations and... Uh, you know, self-doubt, whatever, like all, all these different things, legacy, all this stuff like comes through that story and it's not just about, you know, moving the plot forward. With the Clone Saga stuff that we've read, some of it is, it starts out initially being kind of this interesting reflection of like Spider-Man as a character and as a person and like Ben Riley becoming the, like the purer version of Peter Parker, like Peter Parker's yeah, losing his right. way and Ben Riley like is the one who's telling him like, remember who you are, stop beating these guys to death, like... <laughs> um, <laughs> Because Peter Parker is losing his way, but all that's just a little unclear, like, why it's happening. This, that's what I meant when I was comparing it to, like, Ultimate Spider-Man, or, like you said, Spider-Man No More does a much better job of kind of selling the, um, you know, him losing his way. I, I just, like, I feel like it rushes that kind of stuff, and then it moves immediately into just, like, and now here's a new Peter Parker. His name's Ben. Uh, and then, like, you're interested in him because it's just more Spider-Man. Yeah, right. without giving me like any kind of reason to want to keep reading this guy, because like the f- 
and then the focus quickly moves from him onto Puma or Venom or Shriek or Nocturne, right? Like, and we're not learning that much about Ben anymore. We're just learning about these little, or we're strapped in for these uh, kind of small little side stories. So, which I don't yeah, hate. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, that's, so clones, that's standard no, Spider-Man stuff, no, no, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Well, not, I don't even standard. I think it's kind of subpar. Like most of that's pretty good art. The Venom art stuff is really good, particularly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's some really good stuff there, but like. Besides, I mean, that Puma stuff was dire to me. I had a hard time with those four issues, particularly. Yeah, um, uh, I don't yeah. have tremendous affinity. <laughs> for Puma, oh, Ver- Ver- Vermin shows up again. I liked, I like that. The Vermin stuff worked okay. Good for Vermin. Yeah, um, good for, yeah, good yeah, for yeah. Vermin. Yeah, Owen, um, Owen, what about you? You like clones overall? Um, sure, why not? That's my uh, that's my go to line at at bars. Back when going to bars was the thing, was I'd walk up. Hey, do you like clones? <laughs> you, the way you said that reminds me of the scene in B movie where he asks if they like jazz. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just I'm, maybe uh, once we're done, I'll make a meme of that, and it's just Marvel editorials. You like clones? <laughs> I think I think clone stories. Like, I've kind of just accepted that that is a part of Spider Man in general. That there are occasionally going to be clone stories. I think there are examples of it being done well. I think, you know, we touched about, we touched on Ultimate Spider-Man earlier. I think the Clone Saga story in that universe is done terrifically. I really love that arc. Mm. Um, and as well, there's yeah, kind of examples. That, work, that works better. For it sure. is. And like, yeah. I know it has the benefit of hindsight and Bendis kind of having the existing story to kind of build off and work from. But that's a really great story. And the fact that there are clones in it doesn't like overly convolute or take away from it. If anything, seeing all these different kind of versions of Peter really, really adds to the story Bendis is telling. And as well, like in the in the 90, 90s animated series, they do a kind of clone saga in that. And I think that's yeah. a lot of fun. So there are examples of the clone saga being done well and, and stories with alternate versions of Spider-Man, you know, being successful. You know, the fact is right now, both in kind of live action and animated films, Marvel seems to be obsessed with this idea of doing stories with multiple Spider-Man. You know, whether it be clones, variants, people from different universes. So I'm not against it in theory. I just think, you know, like we talked about, in this story in particular, although I think it, it becomes a bigger problem when once you get into the later parts of this, it just completely loses its focus. The, the story that they're trying to tell at the start of the Clone Saga and the story they're trying to tell kind of by the midpoint and by the end of it are all completely different. Yeah. But I won't I won't get too much into it and, and spoil all the fun. Well, I think but you're yeah. I think you're spot on to draw the parallel though to kind of what the expectation is with Mar- with, you know, with Spider-Man now, which is whether we're talking No Way Home or we're talking into the Spider-Verse, the expectation has increasingly become um multiple Spider-Men, um spider yeah. people, right? And and different genders and races and the diversity that that affords and the different types of stories and perspectives that that allows and i think the clone saga is like baby a baby step to that like getting like almost getting that idea right you know it's like a baby step to almost getting that idea right but then the problem is they're like well but they'll all be peter parker (laughs) like like ultimately they will all be versions of peter parker and then i think one of the challenges they run into is differentiating the clones, well, you know, because yeah. one thing that that makes Miles Morales stand out is he is definitely not Peter Parker, right? And, t- well, in Bendis's Clone Saga, right? The original. I was just thinking that when you were saying that. I mean, what's mm. interesting about that? And it's not like thematically interesting, but it's interesting just to have a spider, like one that has spider-ish qualities, one that is uh, a woman. Well, I, c- I can't remember what are the other. There's some other weird stuff going yeah. on, right? Like that's where Spider Woman is- comes from in the Ultimate Universe, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Yeah, like. 
there's something more rather than just like here's a bunch more Peters. Yeah, and like and obviously like there's more clone saga to be told. I mean, I do think the the clones of Spider Man in the Clone Saga, we get the introduction of well, I won't even say. Um but with Ben Riley, um we have I mean Kate Kane we, we is have an interesting a clone. Okay. All right. So that's, that's like clear I mean, he, he's shooting webs teams. and he's lingering around. Like <laughs> yeah, he's right. firing webs from his hands. So. Right. So like, you get sort of the okay. Yeah. Here's a dark mirror version with Kane, who's a, a character that has some legs. Um, ben Riley. I mean, Ben Riley does offer I think some really interesting meta commentary, especially in the mid '90s, of a character who's like, remember what Spider-Man used to be. Remember who Spider-Man what that used to mean, you know? So you have a bit of the meta commentary that that is really running through a lot of Marvel comics of this era, which is like, hey, remember when heroes were good and we weren't all Wolverine and Punisher and Ghost Rider all the time? And, you know, and it's kind of, you know, a a potential meta commentary on resilience in response to sort of the darkness and the the fall violence edginess that is is present, you know, post-image revolution and things like that. Like, Mm -hmm. Like Ben offers that conversation because of where Spider-Man's at and because of where comics are at in the 90s um, in semi-effective ways. I'm not disinterested in the character of Ben Riley, which could could be just a total nothing. Like, Ben could easily be just a total blank slate. Um, But I actually think he becomes, certainly in this first part, like, I'm more interested in following his story than I am in following, quote-unquote, Peter's, um, you know, I'm a spider, I'm not a man. (laughs) Like, that is less interesting to me, (laughs) I think. Uh, so, all right. So I, I think big picture, it's kind of like, I, I'm actually pretty pro people checking out part one of the Clone Saga. I actually, oh, and, it, you know, you covered this well. And I, and again, like we're trying to avoid like giving away the game. But like, how long do you think it is for readers who are like, I want to try and do, you know, the full Clone Saga experience. I'm going to read it all. Like, how long do you think it goes before it like really derails? Because I actually think it's a little longer than you might expect. Um, yeah, I mean, I... You know, once you sent the reading list over and I, and I read this chapter on it in kind of in isolation, I was surprised at how kind of well held together for the most part this portion of the Clone Saga is, especially yeah. compared to kind of where it comes later. Um, without spoiling things too much, I, I feel like the wheels start to come off around the time of like Amazing 400. Yeah. Um, once they get into like the first or the second, if you count the existence of the clone to begin with. The first, like within the Clone Saga, the first major plot twist, which I, I won't spoil. Um, and then kind of everything that goes after that and all of the different kind of things they do, the maximum clonage at one point. Without This didn't happen, so I can talk about this freely. The idea of in, involving time travel and a time loop, it really kind of <laughs> goes off the deep end. Um, yeah. You know, Marvel has a long history of trying to solve Spider-Man problems they've created with Mephisto. I'll say that much. uh here's a question do you do you both prefer clone stories or symbiote stories and and i want to say not venom specifically but the wide world of symbiotes uh beyond venom which we do get uh we do get the return of scream here yeah i don't know if she's even named at this point i thought she was shriek is she shriek shrieks the in ravencroft i think but oh you're right you're right the venom Yeah. Shriek's, Shriek's Carnage is uh, Maximum Carnage yeah. partner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is, but this yeah, is all the other symbiote. all the other symbiote stuff of you know Carnage and Scream and then I don't know the various stuff. All all that symbiote stuff. Would you rather have like if you if you saw in twenty twenty two they're doing a new Spider Man event and it's either clone focused or uh-huh. symbiote focused? Which one would make you groan less? <laughs> but no Venom. Uh, yeah. I mean, Venom's got to be involved. But I mean, like, w- still, I guess, like, 
Because Venom, because Venom had some good Venom stories. stories. Right? Like, Ven- like, Venom's yeah. an interesting character, but like when they're just like, and then here's something to do with symbiotes and all the ways that they <laughs> go out in the world and infect new people and stuff. I'm like, at least so far, I'm very bored of that. And Carnage, Carnage is, also does nothing for me. You know what though? I will yet. say like, so like Donny Cates and Ryan Stagman, the early parts of their Marvel Fresh Start Venom run, and even into and through Absolute Carnage. Heavy oh, yeah. symbiote stuff, and I mm-hmm. liked it. Uh, I yeah. was definitely oh, yeah, here yeah. for that, it. That's all good stuff. Yeah. So, and, and I'll say, like, right now, you got Al Ewing and Rom V doing more symbiote stuff. Again, you put the right creators on it, and I'm I can definitely get into that. Uh, there's no clone example. <laughs> well, actually, I take that back. There is there is no one. Um, I'm more into symbiote stuff. I guess I'll say, but I but I okay. hear you on the on the question, Owen. What do you think? I mean, it's really like a rock and a hard place situation for me. I'm not <laughs> exactly. Massive, I'm not massively into either, I think. I'm not a big symbiote lover, I'll be honest. I think it's kind of a miracle that Venom is an interesting character, never mind all of the other ones that keep popping up. Um, I guess Venom's fun, so I'll go, if he's in the symbiote one, I'll go with that. Yeah, I think that yeah, I, I kind of agree. Yeah. Venom the- is more interesting than any of the clones, so... Yeah, if, if that's what it comes do you, down to. Did you both think Venom was taking like a big back step here, like or, or a step back um, in in these comics? Like it felt like the Venom we've seen like kind of get uh, more on an even keel, kind of you know to move into the anti-hero thing, yeah. turn real nasty here, like in a way that felt like moving backwards from what we've seen the last few years. What they've been doing with him. I mean, in the way that in the way that I'm talking about Peter Parker, Spider Man needing a kick in the pants in this era venom is is so so much in the same conversation because venom is so badly overexposed throughout mm-hmm. the early 90s oh, right totally. like it's just miniseries yeah. after miniseries after miniseries um i think probably i i agree i mean i think it's probably a reaction to okay we did the lethal protector thing what can we do now well let's walk him back and make him violent because people like the big tongue and the slime right and and i think like it's kind of as simple as that and it's not especially interesting mm-hmm. um so venom is def- Venom gets stuck in a rut, I think, pretty heavily here, um, where it's kind of like, well, he's not as evil as Carnage anymore, um, and he's not straight up an anti-hero, so what do we do with him? And he kind of just walks this middle ground, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 which is kind of unsatisfying. Like, I, I, I liked him as a villain initially, and then I got tired of him as a villain, uh, and then now, you know, having him shift back to this uh, feels a little progressive i guess what do we what do we think about um spider-man adding ravencroft as an insane asylum which is so clearly an arkham asylum riff um yeah yeah. does that work in the spider-man universe like does spider-man need his own arkham asylum don't we already have like the ark doesn't that already exist in marvel there are prisons i mean there's the vault right but that's 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 like a bad guy prison but it's not like for the criminally insane specifically oh, which is obviously no. pretty popular late 80s <laughs> into the 90s i mean this is like the place where they're like we'll keep carnage but no i don't know Ra- ravencroft i i have not read a ravencroft story ravencroft story that has uh has grabbed me but owen what do you know. think are you here yeah. for ravencroft the institution <laughs> um yeah I, I i think it's fine you know ravencroft will always kind of just feel like spider-man's version of arkham yeah but i think that when, when you have characters like carnage especially there's probably a place for it and i think it, I think it works in the context of this story, you know. I don't know how much Ravencroft, like, 
I don't know how important Ravencroft needs to be in the Spider-Man mythos. You know, the only time it's ever been adapted is in like the Amazing Spider-Man Two, and still we don't talk about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's it's fine. It's there, I guess. I don't I don't I don't kind of roll my eyes when I see Ravencroft, but I also don't I don't get excited when I hear it get mentioned. Yeah, same. Because because yeah. like Arkham, like I'm I'm excited for Arkham, right? Like video yeah, game series, I, 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 you know, they're good comics. Like that's I'm into it. You know, I think the difference though, and, and is especially like because with the Batman kind of mythos, you've had stories like Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum. They've really fleshed out Arkham and made it feel like a big part of Gotham and a big character almost. Mm-hmm. Um, especially totally. what Morrison, yeah. especially what Morrison does, kind of equating the history of Arkham as a place to uh, to Batman and kind of the. This, the idea of the bat kind of haunting Arkham is really interesting. Whereas Ravencroft is just kind of insane asylum where some of Spider-Man's villains go. It doesn't have like the same thematic weight as Arkham does. But right. as it's kind of role in the story as a place where some of Spider-Man's villains will occasionally break out from, I think it's fine. The, the most like thematic thing about it is the name. Besides that, it kind of just looks like a high-tech like science facility yeah. that holds like crazy... Uh, super villains so it's yeah it's it doesn't have a personality like arkham arkham you know Ar- mm-hmm. arkham feels like uh it has history and weight and personality behind it and ravencroft at least at this point doesn't i, I haven't read much farther so. i wonder how much of that is the fact that batman has gotham and his own city which has history and has of you know people affiliated with it right like the arkham family becomes you know like a legacy and there's like a story there whereas spider-man is just as a piece of all of the marvel heroes in new york can never quite have that you know and because even even now i'm thinking like well it's kind of weird that like mostly spider-man villains go there like why why just his (laughs) like it's a part of the new york you know uh incarceral state or whatever um okay so ravencroft i'm gonna say not as not as cool not as cool as arkham i think that's fair to say um a hot take (laughs) <laughs> no i don't think so <laughs> the, hot, the hot take would definitely be somebody who's like i love ravencroft it's so much better than arkham here's why Look, like that there's, is there's that's one the person out there there's yeah. someone out there who absolutely loves ravencroft and you know what more power to them yeah. Mar- absolutely whoever bought because they just did a bunch of ravencroft minis you know these like mm-hmm. ravencroft solo issues so like whoever was eating those up Write to us uh, <laughs> at my marvelous gear because I definitely want to hear about it. One thing we skipped that that's part of this um, this collection is all the stuff with Mary Jane. Yeah, there's a lot of Mary Jane stuff here. I, uh-huh. I don't have much to uh-huh. say about it. I don't think it's particularly well observed uh, stuff. It, it's like filling out her backstory a little bit um, with her family. Like she's going back to try to reconcile with her family, especially her father. Right. And uh, it does. It, it's very generic. It's very. I don't know like like it feels very um thinly drawn to me so it did not hit mm-hmm. me particularly hard uh did it did it work for either of you I think the like, big thing was the, the big thing with MJ that I want in these issues in the storyline is like I just want her to separate from Peter like I just like he's so I don't know sort of broken and removed from her that I'm like all right just go ahead and like live your life MJ because like this I mean, is like, not working yeah I feel like like to be honest, though, that is kind of how it feels. Like, they pretty much split the two of them from the first issue. They don't and interact, Pete, yeah. Not at all. Like, Peter's going through his crisis of confidence, so he's barely Peter Parker during the entirety of what we've read. And MJ's in Pittsburgh kind of dealing with, kind of reconciling with her family. And I think that kind of stuff's interesting. Like, I, I think giving MJ that resolution, you know, building up, you know, her finding her sister and then meeting up with her father again and kind of burying that. And especially how that kind of, 
mirrors like what Peter's going through with Aunt May is is kind of interesting. And I think that like yeah. for MJ's arc, it's a necessary story to tell. But whether or not it has a place here beyond we need to get MJ out of the picture so Peter can lose his mind. I don't know. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do like giving MJ her own story and sort of um, things to do, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, like like it, too many three page, uh, you know, shots back to MJ sitting in the apartment wondering about Peter would have been absolutely brutal. So <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad it's not that. Um, and it is I don't know. I think the scenes with her like reconciling with her father are pretty memorable. Um Certainly, you know, it's this like kind of verbally abusive dad, um, if not more so, and and kind of reconciling with like what he wanted to be and having a conversation as an adult. I mean, those are there's there's some human connection and some human moments in those scenes. Um, I don't know that they're tremendously special, but they're they're memorable, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Okay. so. All right. So that's part one of the Cone Saga. Um, I think moving forward, we're definitely not in the club going to try and do the whole thing. Okay, um, I don't, again, like My Marvelous Year is a curated guide through the essentials and the best and and sometimes just the most important stuff, right? And Clone Saga definitely has historical, but also like character relevance, you know, we Ben Riley, Kane, like there are things that come out of this that have some legs um, and also have, you know, are definitely of the moment as well. So we're going to try to cover some of that. I'm going to have to think about how like here's the thing we're not reading maximum clonage like i'm just gonna put that out there right now like that's not happening Thank you. Thank um, you, yeah yeah like that is my gift to all of you here i can't um, believe i can't believe you're robbing zach of the opportunity to read a story as, <laughs> with as cool a name as maximum clonage Ugh. combining uh clones and carnage i'm assuming is that oh for sure only one yeah. way to find out <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm does that sound either. like does that sound like the most '90s thing you've ever heard? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, it, it probably is Marvel's most '90s um, storyline. I, I, oh, I definitely. Yeah, it's tough to be. You know, I I will say, like, if you really wanna, if you truly wanna understand reactions to the Clone Saga, you have to read the whole thing. Like, you, it's mm. like saying, like, if you go and run for a 5K and you're like, yeah, I know what it's like to run a marathon, you do not. You have not experienced the endurance it takes to finish the Clone Saga. <laughs> don't <laughs> like, don't further encourage people in the club to think that they like get to brag about ingesting a lot of bad comics. This is something I try a, to like, it's break a, it's people. It's an endurance thing. That. You get a I, listen. I will send you the sticker you to put on your car. For, like, reading that's a lot just of a picture of, of maximum clones. Okay, <laughs> you can next to your twenty six point two. You get a picture of seven clones <laughs> to put on the back of your <laughs> back line. of your vehicle. Um, it's an endurance test. It's it's. Like Secret Wars 2, but longer. It is a, well, one of the I'm, ultimate Marvel endurance We have a lot of people who are like, I did it. I finally read all of Secret Wars 2. And I'm like, I am disappointed. Like, I'm not I'm impressed. I'm disappointed <laughs> that you spent your, you know, fleeting human life <laughs> doing this this thing. I disagree, Zach. I think there's no better way to spend <laughs> yeah, one's time. <laughs> <laughs> it is the ultimate, ultimate feat. Um, so, okay. But yes, moving forward into 1995, we're definitely not going to read all of it, but we are going to be reading some of it. Um, I actually think there's some good stuff in part two, um, like in the Epic Collection part two. There's some interesting moments. And I actually think it kind of starts to coalesce in the ways that it, it will successfully uh, more so, where we get a feel for like, okay, what's what is Ben Riley's purpose here? What is he actually doing? Um, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, this is, otherwise, this is going to do it. For 1994, we're going in 1995. We're going to read a whole bunch of, I don't know, weird miniseries and stuff. We're going to read Punisher Kills the Marvel Universe. We're going to read uh, Age of Apocalypse. 
That's coming up next. Yeah, uh, excited. So about that. we got some some big mid '90s Marvel craziness uh, coming our way. Owen, do you have any do you have any faves for like the rest of the '90s? <laughs> like, because it gets it gets dark for a minute, and then like Marvel Night starts and it picks back up again. Um. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, oh, I'm boy. someone That's who. That's good news. <laughs> I, I'm someone who has a very complicated relationship with 90s comics. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, like, once you get into, like, post... Ironically, like, post-95. Yeah. I think that it's a lot of stuff that doesn't do uh, a tremendous amount for me, personally. Um, Kingdom Come comes out in that period, and that's one of the best graphic novels ever. But that's not Marvel, so... Um, yeah, not... not a, yeah, Age of Apocalypse is fun. Like, that's one of the few, um, like, big event books of this period that I think actually doesn't fall apart. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Heroes Reborn happens, which is one of the most hilarious things. <laughs> we are going to have to talk about that done. happening. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm very tempted to see if I can drag my way back onto the podcast to talk about Heroes Reborn, because I have a lot <laughs> okay. to say about that. <laughs> uh, and not just about the the strange proportions of Rob Liefeld's Captain America. Oh, he's so big. It's a great drawing. You know, I've come full circle on that drawing from like (laughs) laughing at it to now. I'm just like, this is great. This is super fun. I want to see every, I I think we talked about this, but like there comes a point reading, like looking at his art where you're like, I kind of just want to see his interpretation of every hero, like every (laughs) silver age hero drawn by Rob Liefeld and see like, just what would he do with it? Here's the thing about that cap cover is if that if that was maintained throughout the the run, yeah, I'd be more into it. If yeah. that was like the actual proportions, you know, like absurd hyper, you know, extended um, hyperbolic Captain America, and they just committed to it, I'd be more into it. Right? It'd be more of an artistic vision. Okay. So, 1994, it's over. We did it. We made it through. We're heading into the mid 90s. Happy um, New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm excited for Age of Apocalypse, and there's some other stuff that I think people will enjoy, too. So stick with us. If you want to find the, the issues that we're reading, go to patreon.com slash mymarvelthisyear. You can find uh, the social for the, the podcast at mymarvelthisyear. Um, and music for the show is by Disaster Peace. Owen, where should people find you? Yeah. Thank you for having me on, Dave, Zach. It's been a pleasure to talk about uh, this yeah. massively yes, convoluted story with you both. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want some more of me, and if you enjoy listening to my ramblings about Spider-Man and, and all things Marvel and DC, head on over to youtube.com slash Comics. Check out the Craven's Last Hunt video that I recently released. Um, when this is coming out, I'm probably in the midst of covering a lot of Batman stuff in anticipation of the new movie. Oh, nice, I'll be yeah. talking about Jeff Johns' Batman Earth 1, and maybe some other stuff. I'm not going to give all my secrets away just yet, but yeah, youtube.com slash Comics. I'm on Twitter at Comics. Come shoot me a follow tell me i don't know i'm wrong about the clone saga <laughs> now now i'm not looking to start a fight owen because we're we're finishing tell, but tell I me do how have... great 90s comics are <laughs> you know I... I do have batman earth one as one of like my 10 least favorite comics of all time like Look, I, I, I have said it i was covering so it i didn't low. say i liked it no i know i know no i like i don't want to i don't want to i'm not assuming one way or the other um but i just i have to put it out there that like i had the worst time reading that comic. i mean i'm i'm not in the business of praising jeff johns too much in 2022 yeah yeah um i will say you know regardless of my feelings about the writing of that book gary frank's artwork has never looked better yeah it's a frank beautiful comic yeah so i will leave it at that <laughs> okay okay cool i look forward to watching that video all right cool so we'll include links here for own stuff uh, in the show notes thanks so much for joining really appreciate having you 
Um, Zach, anything I'm forgetting? Anything important? Nope, nope. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next year. See you next year. Uh-huh.